Well, I wonder if you might know who this question was asked about. What makes these people so glad? The answer might surprise you. It was asked of the early Christian martyrs who died in Roman persecution. This famous painting from the 1800s depicts what some experienced. People were perplexed how they could die with a smile on their face and a song on their lips. Now, a Roman soldier filled with hate could go into battle and die. And here's how he would die. He would rush at the enemy with anger in his heart, hate written all over his face, and cursing on his lips. That was how a soldier died. But for a young woman like this, to face her murderers with a smile on her face, and to actually pray for them, that was new. That was new indeed. And so we have to ask the question, what is the secret of such gladness? Well, this morning, we're going to let Mary, the mother of Jesus, tell us. Mary was told that she would be the mother of the Messiah. Yet her earthly circumstances were unchanged. Have you ever thought about that? Her earthly circumstances essentially remain the same. She had the same problems, the same troubles, the same hardships, and the same woes as before. We tend to see Mary through rose-colored glasses, don't we? But in spite of that, Mary wrote one of the most joyful praise songs ever written. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along in the chair Bible, it is page 1017. And I want you to notice these opening words of Mary's song, which we call Mary's Magnificat, for the word magnifies. And notice what she said. Luke 1, 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. How was she so happy when her life remained so hard? Well, this morning, that's what we want to look at. Uh, We're going to, over the next couple of Sundays, look at Mary's song. And what we're going to discover is this song is about why she was so happy. Now, next week we will see that she discovered the secret of Christian hope. But today we're going to see that she discovered the secret of Christian joy. Let's take a moment, shall we, and let's pray together as we prepare to hear the Word of God. Lord God, we thank you for the example of Mary. What a truly ordinary person she was. 
with the kinds of problems and difficulties and hardships that we often face. And yet because of her extraordinary faith and trust, you did something in her that filled her life with a supernatural joy. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we can experience the same thing. And so we love you, Lord, this morning, and we pray that at this season of the year, we'll truly understand the joy that is ours in Christ. But we pray in His name. Amen. I want you to notice, as we particularly look at the first part of Mary's Magnificat, that the first part of her song is about what Christ meant to her personally. In fact, look with me as we continue in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You'll notice that this part of Mary's praise psalm is dominated by me and my. And it is about the joy that Jesus brought to her personally. And the reason is because Jesus had changed her life. He had reversed her fortunes in a very dramatic way. But even though what she writes here in the opening part of this psalm has to do with her own personal joy... Her words apply to all God's children, to you and to me. There's a Bible teacher by the name of Craig Evans, and he says this, Mary's experience is unique, but at the same time, Mary's experience is what she had first, in some manner, is that which is for all Israel and for all believers. And no matter what the circumstances or Hardships of our life, the reversals that Jesus brings to us bring joy. I want to do two things in the message today. Number one, I want to look at three reversals that brought joy to Mary. And then as believers in Christ, what I want to do is apply these to our lives because we're going to discover That is, in every passage of Scripture, while there is an interpretation for the person it was written about, there's an application to all God's people. Let's look at them one by one, shall we? Here's the first one. Mary experienced this. A nobody became a somebody. Did you notice in verse 48, she says... He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary was totally amazed that an insignificant person like her would be chosen by God to bring the Messiah into the world. Uh, These words not only indicate how humble her attitude was, but they also reveal to us how humble her circumstances were. When she describes herself as having a humble estate, it is an expression that means an afflicted estate. It really is talking about an unfavorable status. In other words, 
Mary was pretty much of a nobody that others looked down upon, and she had a hard life. Now, most of us know that she was probably a teenager at this time. She would have been no more than 14 or 15 years of age. She was poor. When she describes herself in verse 48 as a servant, that word is often translated as a female slave. Now, she was not a female slave, but that's how she looked upon her circumstances. We also know that she came from a town and a district that was despised, Nazareth of Galilee. There was a Roman military headquarters that was set up not far from Nazareth. One of my old professors described it this way. Nazareth had become a military camp town with which all manner of sin and corruption was associated. The Nazarenes were particularly despised by the rest of the Jews. By the way, Jesus experienced that, didn't he, when he met Nathaniel? Remember that? And Nathaniel was told that, you know, Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And you remember what Nathaniel said? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And when Mary here describes her condition as a humble estate, she was not kidding. Now, there are two things that God did for Mary that totally impressed her. And totally amazed her. Number one, verse 48, he looked on her. That's a wonderful expression. It means to look on with care. It is a reference to God's loving care that looks upon someone and implies that God is going to change their situation. God was going to make Mary his favored woman to bring the mother of the greatest person who had ever lived into the world. And she says because of that, she would be called blessed by future generations because she was burying the Messiah. And nobody became a somebody. Notice the second thing that brought her great joy. A mortal experienced a miracle. When Mary here describes God as the mighty one, verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. This is actually a play on words back to verse 37. You remember the angel told her that she would be pregnant. And she said, how will this be because I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her back in verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Now what is interesting is the word impossible in verse 37 means to be powerless and the word mighty that she uses for God in verse 49 means to be powerful. You know what those two words are? They are the opposite of one another. Mortals are powerless, but the mighty one is powerful. 
And what Mary was affirming was she was going to be the recipient of a mighty act of God, the miracle of the virgin birth. She was saying what is impossible with mortals is possible with the mighty one. In fact, she says, holy is his name. Because God is a holy God, he fulfills his promises to his people. And because he's almighty, he does the impossible. Now notice the third thing. Here's the third thing that brought her joy. Thirdly, she says, a sinner received a Savior. A sinner received a Savior. Did you notice in verse 50, she said, His mercy is for those who fear Him. Mercy is a reference to God's faithful love to the unfortunate. It's a reference to His saving love to those who put their trust in Him and His plan of salvation. Now Mary is reminded here that God chose the nation of Israel for one reason and one reason only. It was because of His mercy. But they had now become sinful and disobedient, and as a result, they were downtrodden. They were oppressed. But Mary says, God is faithful. God is faithful. As unworthy as they were, He sent a Savior to those who fear Him. By the way, did you notice here what Mary thought about herself? Did you notice that? She opened this psalm by saying, God is my Savior. I ask you a question. Who needs a Savior? A sinner needs a Savior. Now, if Mary was a sinner, was she sinless? No. And if she was not sinless, was she immaculately conceived apart from sin? What's the answer? No. Do you see what we are being taught here? Mary was a very ordinary person. Ordinary in every way. In fact, the Christmas story is not about the greatness of Mary. It's about the greatness of the Savior who changed her fortunes. That's what the Christmas story is about. And the same Savior who changed her fortunes does the same for us. Now, I think you're tracking with me here this morning. You're looking at these reversals and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I think that's happened to me. 
we started out our service today by singing this carol, How Great Our Joy Is. And now we're seeing Mary and the greatness of her joy. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And now what we're seeing is her joy can be our joy. Let me make some applications here this morning to our lives because this is really what Christmas is all about. Here's the first one. These reversals are true for every believer. For example, uh, nobody becomes a somebody. Listen to what the Bible says about us. God has chosen the poor the foolish, and the weak, that's us, and the lowly, that we might be rich, strong, wise, and distinguished in Christ. The Bible says about us, you are already full, you're already rich. You have reigned as kings, and you are heirs of the kingdom. And the Bible says this, Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. If we are believers, nobodies have become somebody. The second one. A mortal experiences a miracle. Did you know that the birth of Jesus is the pattern of the new birth? It's an amazing thing to think about this. But life's greatest miracle up until that time was the virgin birth of Christ. And that miracle becomes a pattern, uh, an example for the greatest miracle that is incurring in the world today. Notice the comparison here. Mary experienced the miracle of the virgin birth. That was a miracle of reproduction. Jesus came into her womb, and the Bible says the whole thing was the result of the Holy Spirit's work. But now notice what happens to every single Christian. We experience, when we trust in Christ and His work on the cross, the miracle of the new birth. That is a miracle of regeneration. Jesus comes into our life, and the Bible says that is also the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is the greatest miracle that is happening in the world today. Uh, let me say something to you this morning as you think about this. If someone ever comes to you and brags about the great miracles that they have experienced, in your own mind you know you have experienced the greatest miracle anyone today can ever experience. The miracle of being born again. Now how about the third reversal? A sinner receives a Savior. Did you notice Mary said, this mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. 
And that includes you and me. Every Christian has come to the place where they have a healthy awe and respect of God and they have placed their trust in the Savior. And so, regardless of your circumstances, if you know Jesus Christ, you have all that she had. And brothers and sisters, there's joy in that. There's enough joy for us to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Notice the second application. Coming to Jesus changes us inwardly, not always our circumstances outwardly. I want you to think about this. Mary was still poor, insignificant, despised by the world. She was so poor when they offered Jesus in the temple for his dedication, they could not bring a lamb, they had to bring two doves. During her lifetime, you know that her husband died when she was young, leaving her a widow at a very early age. When they met Simeon in the temple with the baby Jesus, he said to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul. She would be heartbroken over what she saw happen to Jesus. And so dependent was she that on the cross, as Jesus was dying, he said to John, take care of my mother, Mary. By the way, so much for those who say if you come to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and successful, right? That didn't happen for Mary. And many believers around the world are not healthy, wealthy, and successful either. By the way, I learned something very important here. The way to change your circumstances outwardly is to be changed inwardly. That's always the key. I read about a fellow who said, they say that Jesus doesn't perform any miracles anymore. I've seen him perform many miracles. He said, I've seen him turn alcohol into bread. Because when an alcoholic becomes a believer, he starts buying bread for his family rather than alcohol for himself. Jesus can turn drugs into shoes. Because when an addict is transformed, she starts buying shoes for her kids rather than drugs for herself. Jesus can take a loser and turn him into a businessman because when Christ comes into the life, He makes a person hardworking and industrious. And Jesus can change a marriage. Because He changes the two people in the marriage by filling them with the love of God. If you want to change your outward circumstances, the best way that I know how is to let Jesus change you inwardly. And that's what Mary experienced. Look at the third application. Number three. True joy is not found in getting what we want. 
but in having the one we need, who is Jesus. Would you look at the things that made Mary happy? None of them were based upon her present circumstances. She was happy because God had made her the object of his special care. She was happy because God blessed her to do something for him. She was happy because she received mercy. She was happy because she was the object of God's divine power. She was happy because God was her Savior. And she was happy because she had an eternal hope. All of those things have nothing to do with earthly circumstances. I read about a woman who came to her pastor, and she said, Pastor, there must be something wrong with me because I don't have joy. What's wrong with me that I don't have joy in my life? And so the pastor said, well, let me ask you some questions. He said, "Um, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. He said, has Jesus come to live within you? And she said, yes, again. He said, do you know the Lord? And she said, yes, I do. And she said, he said, have all your sins been washed away? And she said, yes. And then the pastor said to her this, are you glad about all that? She got the point. You know what she said? I sure ought to be. I sure ought to be. You see, joy is the result of having the one you need. Not necessarily having all that you want. Let's look at the fourth application. Number four. Coming to Jesus gives hope for the future so you can trust God in the present. Now follow this. If God has taken care of our future, if we know where we're going and to whom we belong, then the most natural result is we ought to trust Him in the present regardless of what we may have to go through. Two of my favorite verses in all of the Bible emphasize this point. And I want you to uh, read them together with me. It's Romans 8.32, and then 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. Let's, Let's read them together. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Do you see what these verses are saying? 
If God didn't spare His own eternal Son, but sent Him to be the incarnate Son of God, whom we celebrate at Christmas, then certainly He will give us everything else we need if He has provided for our eternity. And then Peter is saying to us, if His divine power has given everything that we need for life and godliness then we can trust Him for everything else as well. And so this is really true. Coming to Jesus gives you hope for the future. So you can trust Him in the present. This is the true joy of Christmas. And just as we take a moment to bow before the Lord and to thank Him, let's affirm together from our hearts what it really means to have joy. Joy in the Lord. Let's read it together. These reversals are true for every believer. Coming to Jesus changes us inwardly. Not always our circumstances outwardly. True joy is not found in getting what we want, but in having the one we need, Jesus. And coming to Jesus gives us hope for the future so we can trust God in the present. Let's bow together. And ask the Lord to make Mary's song our song. Father, our souls magnify the Lord. And our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servants. From now on, all generations shall call us blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for us, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. And Lord, as people look upon us, the hardships that we face, the problems we encounter, the earthly questions that remain unanswered, May they be able to say about us, what makes these people so glad? What is it within them that transcends their circumstances and causes them to magnify their Lord? And to praise their Savior. Father, this is the true joy 
of Christmas. Just before we close, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, do you know Jesus in this personal way? Is He God your Savior? If you're not sure, you can come to know Him today. And say, Lord, I'm really like Mary, ordinary in every way, a sinner who needs a Savior. And I believe in the miracle of the virgin birth. And I know that I need a miracle of a new birth. And Lord Jesus, this day I repent and turn from my own way. And I trust You. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the gift of new life. Make me a child of God. And Lord Jesus, though I will never follow You perfectly, from this day forward, it will be my desire to follow You. God helping me as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you may say, for saving me. Father, hear our prayers today. May we sense all that has been committed to us. May we love You more and more and grow into Your likeness. And may we experience the true joy that comes from a life of fellowship with the Son of God who has committed Himself to us. We love You this morning. And thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.